Um, Genesis 3, verse 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to be make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they made the sound of, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verses 14 to the end of the chapter. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall, ne- you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, By the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and... Take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This chapter, of course, uh, describes uh, the the great disaster uh, 
This is paradise which is now being lost. Uh, this is the fall of man. Rather than mankind being described as being on the ascent and on the up, it's actually the very opposite. Not progress, not ascent, but this is the descent of the human race. And I think this is where the words of, of Romans 3.23 actually apply. We call it the fall, but the word fall doesn't appear actually in Genesis 3, but it does in Romans 3, where it says all have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory uh, of God. And what we really have here is the, the Bible's explanation for the way our world is. It gives a reason why we behave, speaking generally, uh, why we behave in the way that we do. And it describes and gives the explanation for the whole sorry history of the, of the human race, with all its worst atrocities and with its disasters and with its pain and, and with its death. This is the Bible's explanation uh, for, for all of this. And, and just to be clear, it's not describing evolutionary progress so that we eventually arrive at the, the sunlit uplands of the brave new world. Uh, that's not being described here at all. It's, it's the descent into a cursed, unhappy, dying human struggle which is poisoned by this powerful principle that we learn is called sin. And of course, this is, this is an absolutely basic, key, foundational stone of the whole Bible in its clear description of the human problem. But, but thankfully, although that, that does happen here, in and among that, there is also the description of the solution to the problem. And, and that, of course, is the other key point, because if you don't get the problem right, if you haven't identified the problem correctly, if you haven't got the diagnosis right, then you're never going to come up with the right solution. It doesn't matter how, how well you, you kind of couch that, how articulate you are, you're always going to go down the wrong rabbit hole uh, if you have not, first of all, analyzed what the key problem uh, and issue is. You know, it's a little bit like what we get in the surgery sometime. People will come in after having consulted Dr. Google, first of all, and um, Dr. Google has come up with a whole lot of options and they're, they're up to 99 about it and they've gone down, as I said, the, the wrong rabbit hole. In fact, they've gone down half a dozen rabbit holes because they haven't initially got the problem itself identified. And so that's what that's what we have here. Now, that, that doesn't mean to say that there are not other things in life that are problems, you know? Things like the environment and oppression and injustice and greed and all the rest of it. But this would describe or, or, or say that these things are more symptoms rather than the cause. The cause is found here in 
in Genesis 3. So let's, let's look at what the, the chapter says. Uh, for ease of trying to kind of just get our minds round about it, I've attempted to just divide the chapter under three headings. I don't think it's going to be possible at all in the time that we have to be comprehensive or exhaustive in any way uh, because there is so much in this passage. But we're going to think, first of all, about the temptation and then we're going to think about the consequences and then we're going to say something about hope uh, at the end. So, uh, the temptation. And, of course, in in verse number 1, we're introduced to the serpent. Now, the serpent is, is Satan, uh, the devil, uh, the evil one, the god of this age, number of different titles given to him, um, who has taken up animal form. Um, we're also told that he can, he can appear plausibly, attractively as, as an angel of light and con people and take them in. And, and that, in a sense, is really what happened here um, as far as his deception. Uh, we're told that he is... Uh, a liar and a deceiver uh, from the beginning. And uh, the book of Revelation is still referring to him, Satan, as that ancient serpent who deceives the nations uh, in the future. Now, we don't have all the details, to be honest, in the Bible about what happened between, you know, chapter 1, where God created everything, things that were seen and unseen, including angelic beings, and said about all of that that it was very good. We don't have all the detail between that point and here when a fallen angel, Satan, tempts our first parents. There are some passages of Scripture that might give us a little bit of insight. You might want to look at them for homework. You'll read them in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, but we're not going to get into that tonight. But here we have, at any rate, without knowing all of that, the enemy of God, the enemy of our souls, and he presents a strategy, if you like, in his temptation of Eve that, that we should be well aware of. It should, it's important for us to be aware of. You remember that Paul said this in Second Corinthians 2. He said about Satan that we are not ignorant of his devices. We, we know what his tactics are. We know what some of his strategies are. So, so here, here they are here. Number one, he casts doubt on the word of God. Uh, did, did God really say this? You sure about that? You sure about the accuracy of that? You think that is actually true? At all? And, he, and he sows that seed of doubt into the mind of Eve. So it's very interesting as, as, as a contrast to this. You really should read this chapter along with the temptation of Christ in the Gospels. When the tempter comes to him and the way that he defeats Satan is by the quotation and by the use of the Word of God. And, of course, he's absolutely triumphant uh, in that. The second thing that he does, as far as his strategy, is to cast doubt on the goodness of God. You see, what he's really saying is God is holding back something from you. you you've thought that God was good. And in fact, he's not, because 
If you were to take of the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would become like God. And God doesn't want you to have that. And uh, he's, he's narrow. And uh, he's holding it back. And you could be so much more. And if you listen to me, you would recognize that so much more is available to you. And, and, and she begins to doubt that God is good. And thinks that God somehow or another is, is being restrictive. And, and she succumbs to, to that temptation. These strategies are still live and kicking in our day. This is still the way that Satan works. Casting doubt on the word of God and on the goodness of God. And we should be aware of that. I'd like to just say something, just to note it about, if you like, what we could call the mechanism or the process that led from the point of temptation to the point of disobedience and the fall. Uh, She listened. uh, She saw. she, She desired and she took and then she gave to Adam. And that kind of mechanism, if you like, is something that you see replicated in other parts of Scripture. Do you think about the sin of Achan? You know, in the time of Joshua, very, very similar to that. That's how the whole process kind of works. And the, de- the, the deception of Eve is, is commented on in our New Testament. And we read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And the, re- and the way it's presented there is, um, Paul says, as far as public teaching in the church is concerned... Um, women shouldn't have that place because two reasons. One is the order of creation. Adam was first formed and then Eve. And it was not Adam, secondly, that was deceived, but it was the woman that was deceived. And so that is not couched as, as Paul's personal opinion. It's not couched as a kind of cultural thing of these early days, but it's very much couched from both creation and the fall that that reason is given. Of course, this is big, big stuff, you know, nationally, you know, national church, all the rest of it runs against the grain as far as our society is concerned. But Scripture uses this passage to to make that point in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So these are some points about the temptation. Now, let's let's go on to the consequences. And... um, there are probably two parts to this. The first are the immediate consequences. Now, I, I changed my notes at this point because I had it all written down and then I thought, oh, uh, there is one point I should say here right at this point. And it's this. The most immediate consequence was spiritual death. Right at the point when she disobeyed God, spiritual death. You, you won't die, said Satan. You won't die. And of course, it's later on in the chapter that God says, you're dust and dust you will return to. But it's not physical death I'm talking about. It's spiritual death. The fact that the great cutoff, the great divide, the great chasm was now introduced and mankind finds themselves in a position of spiritual death separated from God. And that was the awful consequence immediately at that point 
that took place. And if you want to go again, go into this in the New Testament, you turn to Romans chapter 5, where again, you know, we're always tying this in, that uh, Paul uh, uses Adam, talks about him as a person, um, doesn't talk about him as a legend or a symbol of something, as a person in Romans 5. So, you know, if we do away with Genesis 3, we do away with Romans 5 and all the rest of it. So this is all integral. It's all connected together. Um, The other immediate thing, uh, verse number 7, their eyes uh, are opened. But rather than what they had hoped for, And for what they had desired, you'll be like God. Innocence is lost. They they realize that they're they're naked. And, and, And there is a sense between themselves now of discomfort and an unease. They're not certain. They feel they feel vulnerable. Um and and there's a sense of shame and guilt as part of all of that. And what they're discovering now is that Satan's promise was, was a lie. It was a lie. And, and that is still how it works today when, when temptation comes and it's held out to us. He's a liar from the start. Secondly, verse number eight, they hide from God. Uh, their loving maker, their, their creator and friend who came down in the cool of the day, and, and walked with them, who placed them in paradise and had blessed them. Their shame and their guilt caused them to attempt to, to run and hide from their loving maker. I mean, what, a, what again, a, 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 an accurate commentary on our current way of life as people run from God and hide from God. Point number three, verse nine. The question that God, the call that comes out from God when he says, where are you? Now, that didn't mean that God was unaware of what they had done or where they were. But in fact, he's trying to evoke. He's trying to evoke an answer, an explanation from them. And and so they say, "I, I, I was afraid. And so this question, where are you, is is actually not so much, if you like, a geographical question. Are you behind that tree or that bush? It's, It's where are you spiritually? And where they are now is, as I said, they're, they're, they're lost and, and they're dead and they're, they're running from God. And, and, and these are the things that are raised in this question. And then fourthly, there's the, the beginning of, of the blame game. You see that? Uh, the woman that you gave me. Uh, it's, not, it's not my fault. In fact, it may not even be her fault. Perhaps it's your fault because it was you who gave her to me and she has caused me to sin, says Adam. And you can see how sin already, this poison that, that has begun to inflict them, is changing them and in their attitude and how they express themselves. And it's interesting, as, as I've mentioned to you, that Adam is, is always held responsible. So when you read in Romans 5, it doesn't say, and sin entered the world through Eve. It says that sin entered the world through Adam. Eve was deceived. 
Adam wasn't deceived. Adam knew exactly what was going on, and he chose to go along with Eve in it. And he, as the the representative, if you like, the first created, is the one who is held responsible. There There is another point to it. If you read Romans 5, you know, it says, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, for all have sinned. But it also says there that we all died in Adam. Now, now, what that really means is this. It's, it's almost the same as, you know, the prime minister goes to some big summit and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an agreement that's reached uh, and they sit at the table and the fountain pens come out uh, and he signs as the representative of the United Kingdom. And so everything that he has signed for us, we're beholden to. We're part of that. You know, he represents us. And, and that's what it means when we all sinned in Adam. Adam is the head of the human race, if you like, the representative. And because Adam sinned, all the race is held responsible as well. So it's not just the fact that we sin, but we've sinned in Adam. So these are the immediate consequences. And then we move on to the pronouncement of the curse, which of course our consequences uh, as well. And so in turn, first of all, in verse number 14, the serpent uh, is cursed. We learn, of course, in, uh, in Revelation about the lake of fire, which was created for the devil and his angels. Uh, plus, what we have here is the, the bruising and the crushing of the head of the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And this is the very first promise, the first prophecy in the whole of the Bible. Wonderful one to take up even as we're approaching Christmas. This tremendous promise that Satan ultimately would be his head the serpent's head would be bruised while at the same time he would bruise the heel of the woman's offspring the seed of the woman now that is a reference actually to the virgin birth it doesn't say the the offspring of the man the seed of the man so the virgin birth really is being alluded to here and this is what happened at calvary hebrews chapter 2 through death He destroyed, Christ destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And delivered those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And this is the wonderful thing that we have here. The promise of a savior who would reverse the curse. That promise is given at the very moment that the curse is introduced that there would be one who would break the curse, who himself would become the curse for us. Christ became that. And when you go all the way through to the end at the book of Revelation, one of the great things that's mentioned in the description of the new Jerusalem is this, among other things, and there's no curse there. The curse is lifted because it's dealt with in Christ. And that wonderful prophecy is given there. So that was the curse 
that is pronounced on Satan. Then there is a curse, verse 16, uh, on the woman. Uh, pain and childbirth, so physiologically, anatomically, things are changing. Everything is changing here. And then there's, there, there's something that happens as far as the relationship between husband and wife. Uh, there's a tension that's brought in here. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. He will rule over you. This kind of domination thing, even misogyny. You know, all of these things will never be eradicated or educated out of our world. It's part of the curse that has been passed on to it. Male domination and all of this kind of stuff is part of the curse. And that is why our world is the way that it is. And it's all here. And here we have now down to Adam and what is said about him in verse number 17. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, of of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, he had been placed in the garden to tend that. It was a joy for him. But work is no longer going to be like that. It's now going to be a drudgery. There's weariness. uh, There's toil in that. Uh, And and so it's not just the man and the woman that are affected. It's the the ground. Something changes in the world. And so the effect of the curse it goes, it goes beyond just individuals. It affects everything. In fact, Romans 8 says that the whole creation is groaning. Even stars and planets and the weather systems, the ground, climate, everything. All of that is part of the curse that was imposed because of the sin of Adam. Everything is blighted by it. And this is the... This is the weariness and the sadness and the tragedy of this great disaster that happened back then. And, and, and then there is the final thing, you know, and by the sweat of your face, you'll, you'll eat your bread until you, you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. Your dust. And you shall. Death was never the original intention. But, but this, this passage talks about death that has passed upon all men because all of sin. The poison of sin. The the activity of the serpent. And it's an ongoing curse upon humanity in every single dimension. Here is the Bible's explanation. But finally, uh, hope. And any, you know, hope, as I said at the start, Any hope that can be offered here has to take into account the nature of the problem or else we're just kind of nibbling round about the edges. We have to deal with the fundamental problem. Now, what I have to say here is it's not as if God suddenly had to think, oh, we need to have a plan B. Um, This was my my initial plan Here is the original thing I hope would happen. And oh dear me, Adam and Eve have done something I didn't expect. Now let's have to, let's, let's, let's try and think about something else here. Not at all. There is no plan B. And I want to just quote a couple of uh, verses to give you this uh, impression. I mean, the Lord Jesus, when he prayed to his father, 
said to him, you know, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before any of this, before creation, there was love between the Father and the Son. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, the Christians in the church there, he says about them, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, before creation, before the fall. And about the death of Christ, the book of Revelation says this, that he is the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. Now, God works in a dimension completely above and beyond what we are used to and what we can understand as far as time and space. He works in a completely different dimension. This God was not caught on the hop. God was not caught out here. This was not unexpected. And in the great eternal purposes of God, salvation still holds good. You know, that's the hope. That is the hope. Now, let me, let me just mention some of the points very briefly that, that give us a glimpse in, into hope, despite it being this disastrous chapter. Uh, look at verse 20. He calls his wife's name Eve, uh, the mother of the living. That's what, what the, the, the word Eve sounds like, the Hebrew for life giver. So even with death being mentioned, there's, there's a little bit of hope that is introduced. Verse 21, God makes garments, animal skin garments, and clothes them with this. You know, an animal lost its life so that they could be clothed. And of course, that kind of principle is worked out throughout the Bible as it develops till eventually we come to the point where we recognize that Christians are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, and the ultimate lamb who was slain and, and perhaps this is a little foretaste of the whole sacrificial system kind of thing. And then the final point in verse number 24 that gives a little inkling in hope is the fact that, yes, they're driven out of the garden. Yes, the cherubim is placed there with the flaming sword. But really the point of the sword is this, that man would not now take of the tree of life and therefore live eternally in a lost state. And so that was an act of mercy, actually, more than anything else, although he's driven out at the same time. So, completely foundational part of, of, of our Bible, explaining who we are, why we act in the way we do, the explanation for the way our world is, and the rest of Scripture on from this is, is really the development of the wonderful story of redemption. How despite the fall, how despite all the, the various people who become part of Adam's ruined race, if you like, the Savior comes and he restores much more than Adam ever lost in the fall. So I think that's the end of our little mini-series on, on Genesis. And there's one next week, isn't there? There's one next week which takes the idea of the hope and the fulfillment even further. Um, and so we're nearly, we're nearly finished it. So I hope that was of some use uh, 
Um, and let's pray. Lord, thank you just for being able to be brought to understand how you set out your explanation for all these things that are explained in other ways by the commentators of our world. Thank you for this quiet hour when again we can just recalibrate and be brought back and be reminded and taught what your word says and therefore understand things and understand why there is such a need for a savior, the savior that we have remembered tonight, the seed of the woman who came and who shed his blood upon the cross as we have proclaimed and we honor him. And we're so grateful that he has given such a wonderful salvation that has been able to to rectify everything that, that Adam lost. And so we give our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.